I was, had the privilege of attending the Dalai Lama's reception, or as one of the uh, presenters to it said, performance, at the Caird Hall this week. And what struck me, went many, many things struck me. Uh, one of the things that struck me, though, was the incredible, incredible self-delusion in terms of our culture. Brian Cox told us, first of all, that Dundonians are um, honest, intelligent, fun-loving, open, welcoming, and so on. And that was all of us. Maggie, why are you laughing? <laughs> You're a Dundonian, and you fit that description perfectly. <laughs> it was, it's true, though. I mean, and, and, and everyone was going, wow, that's right. You know, we're, this is, and you're going, no, 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 it's not right. And then, um, when the Dalai Lama was speaking, he, he, I'll, I'll say something a little bit about what he, he said later, but the basic thing was he was telling us how wonderful we were. And it's all so sweet, and it's all so lovely, and it's all so good. And, I mean, who's not going to like it? I mean, kids are going to love it because it's going to say, no peace, and love one another, and compassion, and so on. But it doesn't work because it doesn't deal with the reality of the situation that we are in. Now, what the Bible does is the Bible describes both a far worse situation than the Buddhism would ever describe, but offers, offers a far greater salvation than you would get in any religion or philosophy. So, first of all, we look at the old way of life from verses 17 to 19. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. <clears throat> Paul describes this. Oh, is there any, someone taking the war? Can I get some of you, please? There's no. um, in Colossians 1 and verse 21... Paul uses a, a, a similar description where he says this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. In Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, it describes both actions and the, the mind, what's the mind being alienated. And here's the pagan mind. It's linked to idolatrous thinking. Futile, darkened in their understanding. Ignorance. Why do people not believe? Well, we need to explain the gospel clearly. But when the gospel is explained clearly, why do people still not believe? There is spiritual opposition. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, the Dalai Lama was explaining one of the differences between Buddhism and Christianity. I thought it was a very good explanation because he said, in uh, Christianity, you expect the Creator to save you, but in Buddhism, you save yourself. And he told everyone, you have the potential and the power to save yourself. Well, that's such a, thank you, Hugh, that's such a, a sad thing. But that's the mindset of so many people around. We can save ourselves. If only we have positive thinking. If only we uh, you know, live to our full potential. If only re we recognize what we are. And that's not how the mind works. I remember, or it's not how life works. I remember 
Becky, my daughter, being taught in school one time about prayer from a Buddhist perspective. And the teacher said, what I want you to do is to close your eyes and to think pink. Put Saddam Hussein and George Bush, that tells you when it was, in a room and think pink. And if you think pink enough, and if we all do that, then there'll be peace on earth. Now, I've told some of you this story before, but Becky got in trouble there, and she came home to me, and she said, Dada, I got in trouble at school. I said, why? And she told me that she'd been asked to do this. And I said, well, why did you get in trouble? And she said, well, I closed my eyes, and I did what they said, and the teacher came and asked me, Becky, what do you see? And she said, nothing, I've got my eyes closed. Um, (laughs) I I gave her a hug and said, that's my girl. Um, You didn't do anything wrong. But that's, people think, they, they think that there's an idolatrous thinking about ourselves and about other people. I mean, the sad thing for me was with the Dalai Lama, there were 2,000 people who paid £25 a head to be there. It was sold out. It's the fastest selling thing in the Caird Hall for many, many years. It was sold out in two hours. There could have been another 2,000 people there. Don't tell me people don't have a spiritual hunger. And the man stood up and basically most of what he said was okay. Um, it was just relatively meaningless waffle. If I had stood up and said it, or any one of you had stood up and said it, we would have been booed off stage. But people were just desperate to hear something. And the something they heard was, you can save yourself. The mind is darkened, blinded the minds of unbelievers. He talks about the pagan uh, heart. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Why is there this darkness? God is light, and he continually speaks through his creation. Heaven and earth declare his glory. So why is there such darkness? People say, I would believe in God if only God spoke. But God is speaking. Why then do people not believe? And the answer that Paul gives here is because of hardness of heart. The word he uses is the word porosis, and it was a kind of marble. Now, if you want to see how hard it is, if you go to the font at the back there, try lifting that. I think it took four fully grown men, Hugh and I can't remember, it was a few of us, wasn't it, to actually lift that thing from uh, one time. It really is, it's not movable furniture, let's put it that way. It is rock hard and really heavy. And uh, how it would be described in Greek is porosis. It's a, a, a callus, a, a, a bony formation on the joints. Peron meant to petrify, to become hard and insensible. Mark 3 verse 5, we read this about Jesus. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. Hardness of heart is not just emotional insensitivity. It's not just that you're emotionally not all that well developed, but it's also, in biblical terms, it is sheer rebelliousness. We will not have this man to rule over us. My good friend John Ellis and myself did a debate in, with the Atheist Society on evidence for God. And at the end, the then president of the Atheist Society stood up and in his final words as president of the Atheist Society, He said this, and he was really angry because um, John is a brilliant guy and was able to deal with loads and loads of questions, and uh, I just twisted the knife every now and then. And 
he, he just stood up and he said this. He said, even if you could prove to me that there was a God, I would not worship a God like that. I would not worship him. And that is the bottom line. People won't worship and won't come to God because they don't want to. And that leads to further darkness because as God is is displaced from the central position he should occupy in our hearts, then there becomes a downward spiral. It's like the story of Pharaoh. We read that God hardened his heart, but we read also he hardened his own heart. We read in Romans 1 that the Gentiles were given over, but we read also that they gave themselves over. That's the pattern. Hardness of heart, then ignorance, darkening understanding, then alienated from God until they become callous and then give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 19 says that. Hardness of heart leads first to darkness of mind, then to deadness of soul, and finally to recklessness of life. People lost all self-control. People do not become hard because they sin or they lose control or whatever. People lose control because they've become hardened. The word used means callous. And uh, you know on your finger when you, you develop an infection or something or you burn your finger and the skin becomes hard or you're, you're working away and the skin becomes harder and harder and harder and harder, then you don't feel it so much. And that's what happens in our hearts. And you can see it in, in, in so many lives. And maybe... I suspect most of us have experienced it to some degree or other within ourselves. And people are separated from the life of God and they become alienated. Now the interesting thing for me is Paul describes here what that's like. And he says that's what you were. You must no longer live like that, he says. But why does he say that to Christians? Why would Christians want to live like that? Why do we need to be reminded Well, if you turn over into Revelation chapter 2, you'll see uh, an exact answer to this. Revelation 2 verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The church at Ephesus... That's the church referred to in Revelation 2, the church being written to here, had lost its first love. And because they'd lost the love of Jesus, they were so tempted just to fit in and to live like the people around. And I tell you this, that you will go to work tomorrow and you will meet people tomorrow and your temptation will be just to fit in. We can all too easily have the mentality that everyone is doing it. We do tend to take our norms from the society around. The Christian must not. The Christian dares to be different. And that is what Paul is challenging us to. He's saying, be different. Live differently. When you're in a crowd of 2,000 people, And maybe there were others who felt like this, but it didn't seem like it. And you're listening to something and you're thinking, am I completely off the wall? Are these people all seeing something that I'm not? But to me, I looked and I thought, no, they're sheep without a shepherd. 
And to the credit of the Dalai Lama, he wasn't claiming to be their shepherd. But I just thought, what an incredibly, incredibly sad culture that we live in. We have to live differently. We don't go along with the standards of the world around us. Okay, we're going to sing Psalm 1, and that should come up on the screen. And the tune is Petersham, how blessed the... Oh, St. Petersburg, isn't it? Colin, where's Colin? St. Petersburg, thank you. St. Petersburg, how blessed the one who does not walk where wicked men would guide his feet, who does not stand in sinner's paths or sit upon the scorner's seat. The law of God is his delight, his meditation, day and night. God says we're blessed because we don't go along with the culture and the standards around us. Let's stand and sing these words to God's praise. We heard of him and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to make new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, he uses three remarkable expressions which carry the idea of a school. In verse 20, he says, you learned Christ. You learned Christ. Can you think of any way that you would say that about any person? You know, you wouldn't say about me, I learned David, or, you know, I, I, I learned Hugh, or I, I learned Annabelle. What does that mean? There's a world of difference between learning a lesson and learning a person. I thought it was lovely this morning with the Sunday school and all the different kids and especially, you know, so many babies and so many young ones. And why do they come to Sunday school? Why do we encourage people to help with them? Because we want them to learn Christ. We don't want them just to learn Bible facts, though we want them to learn that. Bible people, though we want them to learn that. But we want them to learn Christ because Christ is the substance of Christian teaching, the historical Christ, the one who lived, who died, who rose, who ascended. That Christ was the one they had learned, and it was calling them to standards totally different from the pagan darkness they had been called from. Verse 21 says, you heard Christ, or you heard of Christ. Um, And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You heard Christ. As well as being the substance, Christ is also the teacher. When sound biblical instruction is given, Christ is speaking. It's curious, isn't it? If, why did 2,000 people pay 25 quid a head? I'm not obsessed with the 25 quid a head. I just find it just astounding. Um, And it could have been many, many more. And it was the same up in Inverness and down in Edinburgh. Was it because of the teaching? But surely any other Buddhist monk could have given that teaching. Actually, you could have given that teaching. I could have given that teaching. Why? Because people thought something special, someone special, something we can hear, we can admire, and so on. Well, we have that every Sunday. We have it every time we gather in worship. We have it every time we gather in our homes. We read God's word and we share together the fellowship groups this Wednesday because as the Bible is taught, Christ is speaking. Not a reincarnation of Christ, not a substitute for Christ, but Christ himself 
speaks through his word. That's why it's so disturbing and so depressing when churches move away from the Bible and don't let Jesus speak. He speaks through his word. And then verse 21, you were taught in him. You learned Christ, you heard Christ, you were taught in him. He's not just the substance, not just the teacher, but he's also the ethos, the atmosphere in which they were taught. If you ever go to a school and you're thinking about a school for, you, for kids or whatever, you, you want to know what the school teaches. You want to know the standards, but you also surely want to know what is the ethos of the school? What is the atmosphere in the school? And for those of us who go to different schools and get involved in different ways, sometimes you go into a school and you think, oh, this just doesn't feel good. And then you go in and the way that the pupils behave, the way that the teachers behave as well, and so on, you think, there's a good ethos in this school. Well, what we're being taught here is that as you become a Christian, you learn Christ, you hear Christ, you're taught in Christ. And you have this truth of Jesus. You're taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Well, verses 22 to 24, and next week we'll go on to look at the verses after, because this really all goes on into chapter 5. But we'll only do this bit. Verses 22 to 24 talk about this new creation, grasping this new creation, living this new life. We have a new creation. The Muslim pupil who introduced, or was one of the people from Morgan Academy who introduced the Dalai Lama, he had the best line in the whole thing. I thought what he said was really funny, actually. He said um, there was a girl who was very, almost hysterical, you know, kind of, I've wanted to meet this man since I was nine years old, etc., etc. But the Muslim student stood up and he said, um, you know, I'd like to welcome the Dalai Lama, and he said, I am a Muslim, he said, but I, I recognize that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, or if you're a Buddhist, a once-in-several-lifetimes opportunity. <laughs> and I thought that was very well done. I, I admired the kid. Um, that's what Buddhism teaches. It teaches you screw up in this life, then next life, you have another go. But the next life is determined by this life. So, for example, if you are handicapped in this life, you must have done something wrong in a previous life because you're being punished. And that, by the way, is why handicapped people are so badly treated in Thailand and elsewhere. You know, all our Western liberal Buddhists think this is wonderful. This is religion without God. It's peace, love, compassion. It's actually, what struck me was it's really hard. If you've got to save yourself and you're not saved, then what do you do? You beat up on yourself because you haven't been able to save yourself. Now, what the Christian teaching about that is, you don't wait for a reincarnation you get regeneration. You're a new creation. And we're told, put off the old self. We're not. And, and put on the new self. It's not a kind of new command. It's, it's describing something that has already happened. You've heard this. Put off your old self. Put on the new self. Now, we reject our fallen self, which still remains our fallen humanity. We take on the new humanity. There are two sets of clothes. There are two beings, if you like. One corrupt, degenerating. The other created after the likeness of God, being renewed, regenerating. The old was dominated by lust. The new has righteousness and holiness. 
I was tempted here to use an illustration from Doctor Who, but it's too complicated if you don't know Doctor Who, so think about regeneration in a different way. The new has got righteousness and holiness. The lusts of the old are deceitful. The righteousness of the new is true. And as long as we continue as Christians, we are going to have that. We are going to have this battle between the old and the new. It's difficult for people to grasp that. The old man has been dealt a death blow, but he is not yet dead, which is why we are told to put to death the old nature. We are, on the other hand, to feed the new man and to starve the old. And he says how we do that. He says, you are made new in the attitude of your minds. We have a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new mind that understands the new creation. So if you go across into Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, just on page 1183, we read this. So then, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Christ embodies truth, divine reality, life and life. Whereas the deception, the absence of divine reality, darkness and futility, comes in against us. There is light. Our Buddhist friends speak of enlightenment. But the Dalai Lama said there are many different truths and so on. And it was, it's all incredibly confusing. But Jesus says, no, let your mind be renewed. And let your mind be renewed in me. Romans 12 says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have learned, we have been taught in him. Now this is not the kind of doctrinaire um, teaching where you're told, you know, learn this creed and learn this and learn this and learn this and that's it. It's we're taught in Christ. It's the truth as it is in Jesus. That's set over against the ignorance and the error of the pagan world. It will corrupt, whereas the truth of Jesus liberates, ennobles, ennobles and refines. And this renewed mind is something that is continual. We, we keep having to have our mind renewed. The minute you, you come up and you say, that's it, I've got it, I've grasped it, my mind has been renewed, I have to tell you, you've got to wake up in the morning and have your mind renewed again, all the time. Because of the environment in which we live and because of the darkness that's still within. It's something that, continue, that is continual. And Christian righteousness depends on that. I know that, I mean, what we do is so important. That I, you know, no one's going to dispute that. And Paul will go on to teach about that. But what we do comes from what we think. And we, we just need to have that renewal. And that's why sometimes it's a really good idea to think of church as a petrol station where you come and you get refueled. You should be refueled. The word of God, like that, in the morning, you, you, it, it should be your, your, your bread and your meat. And in the evening, the same. Just to help you think. Now, what does it all mean? It means we have a new set of clothes. It's like coming out of prison or being demobbed from the army or coming home from school and you change. And that change of clothing is saying something. And it's like when you believe in Jesus, you change your way of thinking and you change your way of living and you are making a statement to the world around. We are responsible for living 
out with all the seriousness and energy that we have what God is doing within us. Philippians 2 verse 12, therefore my dear friends, you've always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work at your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The way I'd put it is this, if you are a Christian, you cannot live the same as other people because you are not the same as other people. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to change. You need to have Christ in your life because otherwise it is ultimately completely futile, completely meaningless. It is darkness. It is discouragement. It is depression. It is lostness and you will be lost for all eternity. But when you are a Christian, you have come to know Jesus Christ. And sometimes you and I as Christians will become incredibly oppressed by the darkness around us or by the condemnation of our own hearts, the darkness within us. And the solution to that is to look to Jesus and to put on Christ. When we sit at the Lord's table, we are going to be taking the bread and the wine. reminds us of what Jesus did for us. But it does more than that. It also helps renew and strengthen us because we think again. This is how we are fed. This is where our life comes from. This is where the light comes in. And Paul says, look, change. As a Christian, go and get changed. It's a bit like, well, maybe in church this doesn't happen so much now, but imagine you're going out for, well, we have, we've had graduation meals. And uh, we were, as a family, very grateful to uh, go and share in one of those graduation meals. Uh, it's always a great occasion to be able to share with a family. But uh, imagine you're going out for a graduation meal and you see everyone. I mean, they're all dressed up to the nines. And um, not that I would do this, but supposing uh, I just had my jeans and T-shirt on and... I said, right, come on, let's go, we're going. I'm absolutely certain that my wonderful wife would say, get back in there, you're not going out like that. What do you think you are? Go and get changed. I think that that's precisely what Paul is telling the Ephesians. Don't put on the old clothes, the smelly clothes, the ruined clothes of your old way of life, of the way of life of the people around you. Get changed. Not into something that you have made, but get changed into the robes that Christ has given you. Think again. Think Christ. You are in Christ. Try and live like Jesus. And yes, of course, you will fail. And yes, of course, there are things that will go wrong. But you can truly get rid of the deceitful desires, be made new and put on the new self. Let me put it another way. Get dressed, we're going to work. Get dressed, we're going to a party. Get dressed, we're going to meet the King. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. 
for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Center for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.